Welcome back to Endurance Icons, where we sit down with individuals crushing it in the wild world of endurance sports. Today on the podcast, we got Canadian 210 marathoner, two-time Olympian, ultra runner, and coach Reed Coolset. So welcome to Endurance Icons, Reed. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah. So what was uh, what's on the training schedule for you today? Uh, I'm going to run about 20K, I think, just a sort of regular run, which for me now, I, ju I just try to get a bit more elevation. And in Southern Ontario, it's not a ton, but um, I, instead of running to the trails, I'll, I'll bike or drive to the trails just to not waste any time running on flats anymore. So I noticed uh, a couple months ago, I think I'd seen on maybe your Strava or social media that you were dealing with some injuries, but it looks like you've uh, had a good little build over the last little while. Yeah, it's coming around. So I had an injury pretty much all last year that um, I was a bit of in denial with just because I had some big races and fun races coming up and I was getting away with uh, training. Like most of my training, if not all was, was doable. Um, but then when I went to run far and hard, um, yeah, my, my, my pubic bone really hurt. So, um, starting back in May, <laughs> so I, I went, I, I did end up doing Western States and, um, a couple more races and, um, I ended up dropping out of JFK in November. And at that point I just thought, you know, it's not, it's not fun anymore, um, to be running the way I was feeling. So I, I, I took time off and I thought I'd take like six weeks off and it'd be good. Um, but after six weeks, it was, I, I tried a little run and I could tell right away it was something similar to what I had back in 2014 when, uh, when I ripped, um, my abdominal muscle off my pubic bone, uh, it wasn't nearly that, um, wasn't nearly that painful as 2014, but it was the exact, it was the same like spot, same feeling. So I knew I had to take more time off and, um, I'm not as young as I was in 2014. And it, so I kind of thought, well, now I'm older, but it doesn't hurt as much. I'll just look at the same timeline. So, um, I got an MRI lined up for like 14 weeks after I uh, took uh, time off, which was the same as back in 2014, where I got the go ahead. And then a week before that MRI, I fell skiing out west. Um, yeah, I thought I, <laughs> I thought I would try a 360, and I got three quarters of the way around and just kind of land on my hip. Um, in the MRI, I I was hoping that they would look at my left hip. Um, but I was like, oh, they probably won't. But then I saw my doctor a week later and he said, um, yeah, your, your, your injury looks good. There's just a bit of edema, um, nothing to worry about, but, um, you know, that will clear out. And then he asked, he's like, but what's up with your left hip? Like, that's like, the, the, it's way more inflamed and your bursa is, um, you know, is, is inflamed as well. So I've been dealing with that since, um, and that was, that was, um, at the end of February. So I guess like, um, was it like 12 weeks, almost 12 weeks, something like that. Um, and it's still sort of lingering. So I have been able to build up since March, but it hasn't been um, smooth sailing. But I'm super impressed that you were doing, even attempting a 360. Like, have you landed those before? Oh, yeah. I used to do them all the time. I used to ski a ton um, it, when I was in high school and in my early 20s. Um, I used to ski race. So I used to ski like something like 60, 70 days a, a year. Um, it was like my main thing. And in my head, <laughs> I'm still there, but, um, but no, it's, I'm, but physically I'm not this, the, the same skier as I was 20 years ago, unfortunately. <laughs> so back then you were doing uh, like skiing and running kind of when you were younger coming up. Yeah. So in high school, I, 
I, I, I definitely enjoyed uh, downhill skiing more than running. Um, and I used to always think I was running to get in shape for downhill skiing. But then as high school progressed, the downhill skiers kept on getting bigger and more muscular. And I pretty much just stayed the same. <laughs> and, and then running, running just got, I, I just got better towards the end of high school. Um, and, and it was at the very end of high school where I, I did track. I, I hadn't done track like the first three years of high school. Um, I just spent that, spent the spring and summer skateboarding. And then I was getting better at cross country and, and decided to do track the last two years. And, um, and that's when I got more serious about it. And then in university, um, I thought, oh, I'll, like, I'll, I'll run on the team. And first year of university, I really like kind of bought into, that was the first time I bought into like training pretty much all year round. So what was the path um, once you went to university? What was your path from there to really making running like a, a full-time career for yourself? Yeah, when I graduated university, I was at the point where I really did want to see where I could go with running, but I wasn't good enough to, um, you know, approach a sponsor or get carded or anything like that. So I got a job at a bank working 25 hours a week, which, which, was, a, which was really good. Um, it was actually a bank in Waterloo. And that allowed me to train in the morning, train in the afternoon, and yet, you know, um, get money to pay rent and stuff like that. And then, so that would, that would have been like 2003, 2004. And then in 2005, I made the world championship team for the 5k. And I went from 25 hours a week to, uh, basically like kind of part-time, like a, almost like a substitute teller. <laughs> and, um, but they would, often call but yeah they would call in the morning but I'd often be they, they'd ask me to work like all day and so I was just I was saying no a lot um because before that like the five hours a day was worked really well like kind of you're kind of working just like you know uh 10 a.m to 3 p.m and they'd be like oh can you work at like 8 30 to 5 or something I was like no <laughs> so <laughs> That they just after a while they're like, well, you're you're not really coming in, and, and and by that point I did have a sponsor and I was carded, so I decided to go all in on running to try to make the 2008 Olympics, um, and that's kind of how I ended up running full time. Nice. So you um you talked about kind of 2003 there getting in kind of the world championships for 5K. So was it like 03 to kind of 09 where you were really focusing on that shorter distance stuff? So was your goal for that first Olympics to try and make it in like five or 10K on the track kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was totally focused on the 5K. Um, so yeah, like I said, went to uh, like World University Games in 03, Worlds in 05. And then um, in 2007, I missed Worlds by 0 0.02 um, of a second in the 5K. And then in 2008, I actually got injured. So like the first injury I ever had, I slipped on ice and um, uh, my uh, I, I messed up my back and and nerves um so i i didn't really i didn't run any i didn't run any any outdoor track races in 2008 and when i was coming back in 2009 um i had been cross training a lot and that proved to be good for overall fitness and endurance but my speed was was far was far from where i would have wanted it to be um and so after a couple of workouts, um, I think uh, like late March, early April, I kind of knew that the, the marathon would, would suit me more. So it was about six weeks before the Ottawa marathon. Um, I decided to switch the marathon instead of doing track in 2009. So 
I want to jump to like missing your goal by such a short margin. I love talking to people about the idea of resilience. How did you move on from that? Because I'm sure that was a big disappointment for you. Yeah, it was like, um, I, earlier in the year, I could have probably gone to worlds, could have qualified for worlds in the 10 K, but, um, I, I was just, I was just so focused on the five K. I didn't bother going to nationals in the 10 K. Um, and just kind of put all my eggs in one basket for the five and yeah, I ended up missing the standard by like, you had to run 1321.5 and I ran 1321.52. Oh, um, brutal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like I, uh, it's like, you know, like inches kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so I didn't, I, yeah, I, like, I, I just knew I had to pivot to another goal. Right. Like if I just was like, okay, that's the end of the season not going to worlds, not doing anything about it. I, like, I, I just can't really do that. Um, because I'd been thinking that I was going to peak in August too. Like I wasn't, I didn't feel like it was in my season. So I had a couple of ideas. And the first one was to go to, um, Falmouth and try to break four minutes for the mile because my, the first mile I ever did, um, on a, on a, like a rubber track was four flat 0.08. And then, the second one was like 401 and I never ran another mile again, just because it was, I was always running 1500s and I ran 340 that year, which is equivalent to sub four. So I was like, okay, like sub four is the goal. And I was excited about that, but I didn't get into the race. Um, I think it was already full or something like that. So then um, just looking at Olympic qualification for next year, you can qualify in the 10 K. And so I, I got ended up getting into the, um, the Brussels um, like, it was at the time it was the golden league, the Brussels 10,000 meter there. And so that was my focus. It was like mid September race. Um, and it was, it wasn't worlds, but it was probably like the next best thing. Just, just in terms of the quality of that field. Um, Kennedy Sabichelli was going for the world record in that race. Cool. Um, the stadium, uh, you know, probably had like 50,000 people in it. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was a really cool experience um, in, in a few different ways, I, I got the start line. I was the only non-African born runner on the start line and the paces that were set. Um, you know, I thought, oh, I'll try to run 2730, but the, the slowest pace set was for 26, um, high. Oh my. So right off the bat, I was like, okay, I guess I'm, <laughs> I guess I'm just going to do this alone. I, I was, um, I think I was 209 at 800. Um, and I was already off the back of the pack. So, wow. Solo, solo run after that got, I knew I was going to get lapped by Bekele because if he's going to set the world record, which was 26, I think he was aiming for like 2610 or something like that. Even if I would have run 2740, I'm getting lapped. So uh, it was kind of inevitable. Um, and then he did end up lapping me. He, it was a windy night, so he didn't get the world record. Um, but he was, his manager was still yelling at him to get the, the world lead. Um, but he, he had been slowing down and I'd been running alone. So I, I got in behind him and I actually stayed with him, I think for about 700 meters, um, which was really cool on the, and the, but also a bit of like, uh, kind of amateur move or something, but like the, the announcer reminded everybody that I, I was in fact a lapped runner. I wasn't vying for second place, you know, like or going for the, the, the win, um, and I, I, yeah, I, I didn't run that great. I, ran, I was 28 low and didn't end up qualifying for the Olympics or anything like that, but it, it was a great experience. And that, that's, that is how I sort of like pivoted from not going to worlds. So how was your first uh, marathon experience then? So you said six week kind of lead in and then it was at Ottawa you did. 
Yeah, so I had a six-week lead up. Um, I didn't really, I didn't really know what um, I, I was going to be able to do, but I think the yeah the standard to go to Worlds that year was two eighteen, um, and there's a couple other guys in the race who were also trying to trying to get that standard. So it 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 was a situation where if there were three of us under the standard, I, I had to make sure I was the the top one. Um, but as the race progressed, I ended up uh, the other guys fell off and. I ended up running 217.09 and, and qualifying for Worlds. So I, and then I had Worlds, um, uh, I guess, was it like three months later? Because um, it was, it was, Ottawa was in the end of May and then Worlds were in August. So yeah, my first, first marathon was like pretty quick build up, but got the job done. And then my second one was um, uh, three months later. And I felt much, much more uh, prepared for that one. Um, knew what to expect and, and, and all that kind of stuff, but it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a hot day at world, but I, I, I ran, I, I was really happy to have, I finished 25th. Um, wow. and, and so that, yeah, those two marathons for sure, just like pointed me in, uh, in the direction of the marathon as, as my number one focus from then, from the, from that point on. So then this is pretty cool. Like you debut in 09 and then really in your first kind of Olympic cycle here, you, you made the 2012 game. So did you kind of, right. As you started that marathon, have that like kind of new rejuvenation that, Oh, here's my like new goal. Was that kind of the thought right away? Yeah. I mean, if, like not making the Olympics in 2008 was definitely like it left a fire burning that I wanted to get back there um, or wanted to get there. Um, and and just looking at my equivalent times in the 5k 10k kind of pointed to something you know where I could qualify in the marathon um you know the, the 5k and 10k are pretty cutthroat right there's I think they I think now they kind of allow about 45 men 45 women in the in the 5k field and I think the 10k is some, somewhere around there'd be 25 to 30 right mm -hmm. The marathon back in 2012, the the field was about 160 for both the men and women, and it's it's been cut down drastically since then. Um, so the standards were were for the IWF were a lot easier, um, but for Canada they weren't much easier. It was 211.30 or 211.29, I should say, um, in 2012. But that was still around equivalent to my other times. So um, just knowing that the first two went fairly well for for, for what I had done, um, it definitely was like an attainable goal and yeah my first real city marathon with a proper build-up I ran 211 23 um and and, and kind of got that qualifying mark um out of the way within 2010. So the crazy thing about distance running is you came into the marathon and you debut at 22 or 217 and then the fastest you end up running is 210. I don't, I don't think people can appreciate like that is actually a huge improvement in distance yeah. running, like going from 217 to 210. But like, man, it seems like such a small margin when you just think about seven minutes when an amateur person could go take like an hour off their marathon. So what was, what were some of the things um, to run that kind of uh, PB? I think it was in 2015 where you ran that PB. What, uh, what were some of those key factors that allowed you to improve so much from that 20, uh, that 217 down to that 210 yeah well i think the first thing too is like just when you take the 217 and 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 look at the the build up there it's not it wasn't really representative of what i could do mm -hmm. um so even in even in 2009 for my second marathon i really did think i was in like 213 214 sort of shape even though i ran 216 but it was hot but you know if you're finishing 25th at worlds it's not far-fetched to think that 
somebody running, you know, 25th at Worlds should be able to run 213. Um, so it, when I look at like that, like I kind of feel like that's sort of my improvement, like that 213, 214 ability down to 210. Um, and it, it came with like increasing mileage um, just, and then the workouts got longer. So just like incrementally building um, off of everything. And then it got to the point where um, I was doing too much and um, I, I was seeing, you know, I, you know, of course you see like less improvement as uh, you know, and then at, if you do too much, you, then you start seeing regression. So that's, that's what kind of happened to me um, in a little bit in, it started in 2013, but definitely in 2014, where I was, you know, I was running 190K a week, sort of like peaking early on. And then it was like 200, 210. And then I was getting into like 230, 240, because um, more was better to a certain extent. And then in 2015, I actually um, dialed it back. So, you know, my, my biggest workout in 2013 would have been like 29K at 305 per K. Um, but then in 2015, it was 26 K at 307 per K. So a little bit slower, a little bit less volume. And that just left me ready to race better. Um, and, and so, in, yeah, in 2015, I dialed things back a bit. Um, and, and, and between, yeah, like I had, I had a lot of my, my best races would have been in 2011, uh, when I ran 21055. Um, so when I was still kind of, you know, building up and then, uh, yeah, 2012, 2020, 2013, 24, like they weren't bad races. Like, um, in 2013, I still ran 211 and in, in 2014 was my, I think my slowest city marathon of a, like a kind of a seven year period at 213. But then in, in Rotterdam, 2015, I ran 211 again, and then 210 at Berlin in 2015. And then at the end of 2016, ran 210 as, as well. So I, I kind of felt that by increasing my training and then a bit of trial and error, knowing where that limit is um, and bringing it back that I, I got into the right training zone. Yeah, it was good. You definitely seemed to like learn where your sweet spot was over that time. So it's a good lesson for people that less isn't always more, but sometimes you need to, to do the trial and error to find that out. When you look back on your um, kind of road running careers or anything you would do uh, like kind of differently that you think might've been able to jump you into that 207, 208, 209 range when you look back on it? Um, I, I don't think so. Um, I mean, of course, if, if I had the perfect like race, like, you know, like, you know, not to make excuses, but like, you know, like Berlin, I was doing a lot of leading, you know, when I ran 210. Um, in Toronto in 2011, it was really windy when I ran 210. If you look at what the other guys I was racing with on that day were able to do half a year later, it was a few minutes faster. So it's, you know, if everything had come together, but it, it's almost like too much to ask. Like, even when I look back, um, kind of at my marathoning between 2010 and 2016, um, I actually think I was quite lucky. Like I didn't, most of the, most times I ran with like, yeah, it was windy sometimes, but it was pretty good weather. Um, and also I was, um, I was, I was really healthy. So from 2017 to 2021, like that, that like the next sort of chapter, um, and maybe it can coincide with having kids and going to like daycare and stuff, but like I was getting sick a lot more and I had some weird, like a bit more injuries in there. Um, so uh, once, once I kind of went through the period of like, yeah, being sick for races and, and having like, this is like weird things pop up. I look back at 
2016 and before and think I actually did get really lucky with a lot of the, a lot of the weather and, and, and just my buildups, like so many were flawless. The ones where I did get injured, I got injured far enough in advance that I just postponed the race completely. Like one time I fell off my bike, broke my collarbone and, and then instead of doing Toronto, um, I did Fukuoka, which was like six or seven weeks later. So I, I was able to just pivot like way earlier and instead of having that, like, little injury that you think you're going to try to get through kind of like what I did last year. And, and then the races are just, they all just go subpar. Um, so things really did line up. Um, well, I can't complain. So you, we talked, you mentioned that you were doing like sometimes, yeah, upwards of 200 plus K a week. And that's obviously takes a, a crazy demand on your body from, uh, like both the recovery standpoint and like nutrition. So what were some of those like training non-negotiables that allowed you to, to really be able to continue to perform at that level from, from really like a outside of training perspective? Yeah. I like, so I've always just been really big on sleep. Um, I just always prioritize it. Uh, so I, I have good sleeping habits, good eating habits. Um, I've always just have a good relationship with food and eating a lot and um, eating the right stuff eating tons of bad stuff too, but make sure I get the right stuff in first protein shakes after. So just like really good habits. Um, and then, and then, you know, a lot of it's like, I, I think a lot of it's still sort of luck, like genetic luck about just being able to withstand, um, a lot of training. So yeah, I, you know, I, I did have some injuries. Um, but I also had, um, but in between my big injuries, I, I did have long periods of un, 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 uninterrupted training. Um, which goes a long way, right? Like if you can be consistent month after month for a couple of years, um, you're going to be able to run your best. Cool. Um, before we move on to kind of your next chapter and trail there, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts. So we've seen over the last couple of years, some really like huge performances in that Canadian distance running. So like half and full marathon records falling on kind of the men's and women's side. Um, what do you kind of, uh, chalk some of that up to? It's, uh, like a new era with super shoes and uh there's some training advances in there what do you chalk up some of those uh big improvements like you obviously paved the way and probably inspired a lot of these people which is probably cool to look at as well yeah i'm really excited for the new crop of of distance runners and and i say new crop but like melindy <laughs> like we've yeah. been together, like for a long time i think we were on a national team together back in like oh three or something like that but um yeah, of course it's the talent. Um, and, and you can't ignore the super shoes either. Right. Um, but you know, things that are relative, um, would be looking at placings, right? Look at Melindy finished ninth at the Olympics. Natasha was 13th. Um, it's an even playing field now with the, with the super shoes. So that's, that's ninth and 13th at the Olympics, right? Like mm -hmm. that's what that is. Um, you know, and if you look at Eric Gillis, um, finishing 10th at the Olympics, you, you know, the super shoes do a disservice because some people might say, Oh, he's a two, he's a two eleven guy, you know, but, and then where are these, where are these, um, you know, they like the new crop. Like, I don't, I don't think anybody was in the top, um, like 40 at the Olympics from the guy side. Um, and, um, I, you know, between Dylan, Eric and I, I think I had the worst placing at 27th, um, at my first Olympics. So I, sometimes I just kind of look at that to like, kind of compare, um, now, of course, like what, with, with, with cams running, it's just, you know, you can't compare it. It's just, he's just so fast, right? Like, um, I've, I always kind of thought he would kind of run, um, in the two Oh seven range, like before he ever ran a marathon, um, maybe even faster, just 
looking at his 10k time and then of course now with the super shoes like 205 makes sense right like 207 with old shoes would not have surprised me at all with cam um and so 205 like yeah it's like it's to me like for for myself it's mind-boggling but looking at cam and what he's been able to do throughout his career it it like it makes sense that he's running 205 and if he runs 204 I'm also not going to be shocked. Like um, mm-hmm. he's just that good. And then the other thing too, is like the depth is better, right? Like we never had four um, women or four men have the Olympic standard and somebody have to sit home. And, and we saw that uh, at the last Olympics, Tristan um, had the Olympic standard and, and didn't go. Um, uh, Rachel Cliff did um, as well. So w- like we have, we have more depth. Um, it's undisputable and the top end, if you look at places, it's, it, it's also better cam finishing, like cam finishing fourth at worlds. And, you know, is, is, yeah, it's, it it is, it's just, it's just a whole other level really. So it's one thing I find really cool in this day and age is like, you can follow somebody like cam on Strava and literally see all his training when you were coming through. Was there, did you know really what some of your competitors were doing like that? And like, how do you think that plays a factor in like his competitors? Like what, what's your making of uh, the open data that's out there these days? Yeah, it, it definitely, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Cam doesn't put everything up on yeah. strap, which is, which is, which is like fine. Um, some people don't put anything up. Right. Uh, yeah. Back, I mean, back when, back when I was training, yeah, it, w- it was always just conversations. Right. And then you'd hear, um, but it, when someone would say, they're running 200k a week it often didn't mean they're running 200k a week it often meant like you know their peak weeks were 200 mm-hmm. right um uh so if you actually average so it, everything you heard you had almost had to take with a grain of salt too yeah. right um and especially for gps watches right so before gps watches um and you hear somebody doing you know they did their 10 mile tempo at blah 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 because they finished on the track and they timed their last 400 and extrapolated their whole run off of that. You know, it's <laughs> like, well, well, they, you know, you, you can always finish fast. Right. So um, yeah, there's a lot more mystery th- back then. And, um, and yeah, whereas now you, you kind of know, like you can kind of see how these, these sessions are going and, and, and what people are doing and yeah, what Cam's doing is, is in, in quite incredible. I'm, he does have a good following on, on Strava now, but, um, about a year ago, maybe a bit more, he was posting stuff on Strava and there's very, very few followers. And I, and I, and I, I was almost like, I was like, like people do not realize like what's going on here. Like he is ready for something big. It was, it was quite exciting, uh, to see. Yeah. I was hearing something about him doing like three runs a day on some days. Did you ever do uh like triple run days or just a uh, lot of doubles? No, I, I never really, I, I don't think I ever did a triple on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. I, I would, du- I mean, I would double a lot. I, I often ran 12, 12 or 13 times a week was kind of what I would, would, would do a lot. Did you have like a, a favorite session when, for your like marathon prep uh, blocks that you did? Um, not really. Um, I kind of liked, I kind of liked it all like, like long, longer tempos, um, like longer st- stuff at marathon pace, um, was probably the, it was the most specific and, I could probably read into into it the most, but um, but then I would want to complement it with fast K's or something as well. So um, it was it was it was definitely like the whole mix. And outside of the terrain, when you made uh, you made the switch to trail running and really added that in, did your sessions change significantly? 
Um, yes, yeah, they, they, they did a lot. I mean, the, the, the main stuff um, should, should kind of be the same of just getting fit. So like a lot of stuff, like a lot of lactic threshold work, right? Whether you're doing the 5K or uh, marathon or up, like you just need to get fit. So that, that, those, those are probably like the, the most similar. Um, but then I also went to trail running to do something completely different. Mm-hmm. So I might not be training the best way to, to improve my fitness. Like some days I know I probably should be doing, um, some sort of workout, like five times, eight minutes with a couple minutes rest. And, but then I'll just go and run the trails and go by feel. Um, and that's just where I'm at right now. <laughs> Was trail running always the plan? Yeah. Yeah. I I've always liked trail running. Um, I didn't really know the extent of how technical and, and steep like trail running can be. Um, I was doing trail, um, I, I, like I was doing local trail runs for a long time, like run for the toad and, mm-hmm. and sulfur springs and stuff like that, um, which are quite runnable. You know, they're hill, much hillier than most runs I would do training for a marathon. Um, but, but they're, they're not, they're not that hilly compared to even my first ultra when I went to Quebec there and, and not nearly as technical as well. Um, so that was a bit of a surprise, but I've always wanted to do longer distances and always wanted to do more on the trails, but, um, I, every event that I got into, I, I did it longer than I thought I would. So I, I thought I would start marathoning earlier, but the 5k was going so well that I thought I'd see it through to 2008. Um, and then same thing with the marathon, um, uh, the, the 2012 Olympics, I was in great shape for, and they didn't, it wasn't disaster, but it was, I, I was like, Oh, I, I know I can do better. And so from, from that point on, I was just like, okay, I'm going to get, get back into the, get back to the Olympics in 2016 and, and, and have a good one. And then after that, I f- was thinking about going to the trails in, in 2018. So in 2017, I, I, I had this real plan to start running, doing trail races, but I hadn't done Boston yet. So I thought, okay, I got to do Boston. And then after that, it wasn't that long. So you could start qualifying for the 2020 Olympics. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to go to trails for like half a year and then, and then try to qualify again. So that, that it just kind of like, I just kind of stuck around each event um, a bit longer just because of um, goals that were pulling me in that direction. And you mentioned Western States earlier. What was it like to run that race and how did it compare to the other significant challenges that you've had in running? Yeah, Western States is a really cool race. It's just, it's got great vibes and um, it's not a huge field. Uh, I think there's about 380 people in the race, um, which is kind of surprising for the, I guess the, you know, the the hype around it and, and everything, right? Like it, it sounds like, it, I, I always thought it was a bigger race than it was, um, but um, yeah, the course, the course is just really cool. Everything about it, I, I just really liked. Um, the, the course is very challenging. It's a bit chilly in the beginning. Then, then it gets really hot. Um, there's, there's enough aid stations on Western state that you don't actually have to carry a ton of stuff, which is a bit different than a lot of the other ultras. Um, and I mean, I guess my experience there was, I kind of knew, I kind of knew going in, um, that it was going to be really tough for me to, to run much after, um, like hundred K. So I, I ran 125 K fairly well. And I was, I was pretty happy where I was at that point. And, uh, you know, hoping that I was going to keep, um, you know, improving, but that that's kind of when things went like, they got really tough for me. And, 
I would definitely say like from 130 to 160 K that I don't, I think most of it was walking for me. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it took me five hours the last 30 K. So must, must've been like, at least that's how I remember it. Like a little bit of jogging here and there. So it got really tough. Um, um, and, it, and, and, and I mean, part of it is my first ultra was in August of 2021. And then less than a year later, I'm running hundred miler. So probably a bit quick to, to make that jump up with stoked oats, giving me the spot. Um, you know, they, they, they saw me win my first ultra and, and then, it, you know, it was like, this kind of a big unknown, like how, how it would go. So, um, you know, maybe it was a bit of a, of a gamble to, to give me the spot, but, um, I mean, I think they were happy with it. Uh, and, but by the time, yeah, by the time race day came around, it, it was like, you know, I had these different visions from the fall of 2021 to where I would be like by the end of June, 2022. And, um, you know, part of me was like, yeah, like if I just, you know, if it, it's a more runnable course, I can, you know, use my marathon speed, you know, maybe, you know, like be in the top 10, stuff like that, you know, be up there. And then, then I, after I did a couple hundred Ks earlier in the year, um, the writing was on the wall that, that things were getting pretty tough for me after 80 K. Um, yeah. So that, that was, that was Western States. <laughs> How did you manage your mindset over that 30 K? Um, I just kind of enjoy, I, I was still enjoying it. Like, and I just, I just knew I was going to finish. Right. Like, mm -hmm. like, unless, the, unless the, there was a disaster, like I fell and really hurt myself or something like that. Like, um, just knowing that I got that spot, like, like a sponsored spot, I, I wasn't going to just, like not finish the race and be like, well, that was fun. Like I was, I was going to get it. So I, I was still, I guess, just like motivated and um, to keep moving. Um, but, and I don't know, I, I don't know how much, like I could have like run faster, even if I was in a, like in a position, mm -hmm. like if I was going for a top, like if I was, if I had a chance at top 10, I finished 17th, if I had a chance at top 10, I think there would have been more in there to like, make that last 30 K faster, but I almost glad I wasn't in that position because I don't know that there's much I could have done and it would have hurt a lot. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so part of me is like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to have an okay race here. I'm going to finish, like, just, just get the job done. And, and it, it was getting, it was dark at that point too, for the last maybe like 10, 20 K. Um, and so it was, that was a bit of a challenge and just negotiating some technical terrain on really tired legs. Like it was just, it was challenging that like the whole way through and, and keeping my stomach like, like good. Um, and at the end, so there was, there's just a lot of stuff to like keep my mind going to, and, and overcome despite not being like super excited about the competitive aspect by that point. And you mentioned using the aid stations. What have been the most significant changes in like sports nutrition, switching from road racing to trail racing? Definitely like the, the duration of of these races so my first ultra i thought i would fuel ju just like i did my marathons right so i was using endurance tap and um and, and sometimes like in the, even with a marathon like endurance tap was my main thing but sometimes i also have like some some other sports drink or even like flat coke i'm like okay that's what i'm gonna do like like i'll aim for the same amount of cars per hour but we'll just do it for 16 hours or 14 or whatever it's going to be right and then um six hours in, I realized that 
just having maple syrup over and over and over again is, is too much. And, and uh, yeah, at some point I got to an aid station and I was, it was really, it got, it was getting hot. So I thought, okay, I need to hydrate. I also uh, should keep putting um, calories in. So I didn't take any water. It was just all just like aid station stuff. So it's just like, you know, Pepsi and sports drink and endurance tap and whatever else I was putting in. And then I just started puking like a couple minutes later, like oh, everything. No. And I knew if I didn't get my stomach right, I, I wasn't going to finish the race. So I, I had to walk for a few K. Um, but that's really when I learned like, okay, variety is best. And also not just like, like I like, yeah. in two hour runs, I can do chews and gels and all that stuff. And it's fine. Like three hours, uh, heck even four or five but after that like just having like kind of processed sweet stuff it, it it just like i just can't stomach it anymore so um yeah by western states i was eating like bananas were one of the main go-to and um and, and some other like maybe like watermelons as well but bananas bananas seem to like kind of fill me up a little bit and they go down well so and of course i was like always drinking like a sports drink at the time um and, and taking gels here and there but i wouldn't I wouldn't just rely on that stuff. Like, like I could easily do in a marathon. Yeah. What's the wildest thing that you've eaten in a race? Oh, I, you know, it's not, it's nothing crazy. I can't, I don't even think I have a good story. Most, most ultra runners do. Um, but for me, I'd be, I would say like, this is going to sound boring. It was like a quesadilla at like, I don't know, like mile 90. I don't know. Delicious. It it does. And also cheese in a race actually is pretty wild. So we'll give it to you, Reed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's apparently it's like it's pretty normal. But um yeah, like I I would always hear people having quesadillas. I'm like, why is that a thing? And then and then I sat down and I was really hungry and I had been walking for a while, right? So once I walked mm -hmm. in my stomach, it yeah. kind of settled. I was like, yeah. The, I think the aid station before that I had um chicken broth. Okay. And, and that went down really well. Cause actually before that, my stomach wasn't great. And I had like, yeah, I had some chick, like warm chicken broth and it was, it was like, went down so, so well. And it really like gave me new life. Mm -hmm. And so you talked about earlier injuries, um, injuries during this sort of trail running era. Um, what have they sort of been and outside of your most recent ones and how are you handling that? Um, what sort of cross training do you do? Yeah. So when I, was injured during my like, competitive marathon career, I would pool run and go on the elliptical um, and do a ton of it. Um, now, <laughs> I think I burnt myself out. I think um, I was listening to the your podcast with Ben Flanagan and he kind of yeah. said the same thing like, and I was like, I remember that mindset. I was yeah. putting in a ton of minutes and I was happy to do it and motivated to do it. Um, but then in 2017, I got injured um, and I was doing a bit of pool running, a bit of elliptical. And then I was like, no, I was like, hands, I'm done. Yeah. Um, and, and so I just kind of rested. And then um, that, that injury, um, it was like a, I had a bone in my foot, um, basically dies a necrotic bone. So I had to like reheal oh. is like one of my metatarsals. Um, it was just getting, it was getting bashed by the toe. Um, it was, it was, it was a very weird injury. Uh, mm -hmm. But then uh, we went back, my wife's from Halifax, we went and visited Halifax and she used to do triathlons and I got her triathlon bike. We we're like the same height. So then I took that on and then I started cycling. So I started cycling in 2017 and I cycled for like six weeks straight mm -hmm. um, and, and really, really enjoyed it. Um, so now if, when I get injured, I'll bike. Mm -hmm. um, this year when I was injured, I didn't run at all. Um, second half of November, December and January. 
um, in February. So I was, um, I had to be on an indoor bike and my appetite for indoor biking is, is much less than outdoor biking. So I was um, anywhere from two to nine hours a week, which I think nine hours a week is a lot for me on the an indoor bike, but you know, two hours isn't much at all. So a lot of weeks around four or five hours. And that, that's kind of my, my go-to. And I still try to bike like once a week. Um, now I, um, I like road biking. I don't, when I'm running though, I'm like, man, eh, it's okay. When I'm not running, I really like it. Like I really get into it. And, and I, uh, but if the, if the, if the trails are in good condition, I, I'd much rather run. Yeah. For our listeners, this was not casual riding Reed was doing. I could see him on Strava just tearing up uh, all the KOMs in the Hamilton area there. <laughs> to the so, surprise of no one. <laughs> the interesting part was when I went out to Halifax, my, my father-in-law was like, do you want to do a ride? We'll go to Peggy's Coven back, right? So it was a 100K ride. Um, and this point, my father-in-law is also a grandpa, right? Like I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a one-year-old son. So in my head, I'm like, okay, grandpa's doing hundred K rides. So when I got back to Hamilton, my first week was like 700 K because I just thought, okay, hundred K rides are like kind of normal. Um, and then, yeah, a couple of my friends at cycle, they're like, they you know, like messed me like, like, what are you up to, man? <laughs> like, that's a lot of biking. And I was like, so, so then I kind of like, you know, would tone it down between five, but I, I think I did a couple more weeks around 700, but like 500 kilometer weeks and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I was doing a lot. <laughs> Reed and I were laughing before the podcast. He, uh, cause we're talking about the Giro and Derek G and all the, uh, breakaways right now. And Reed was dueling with him for all the, the KOM. So maybe, maybe that's your calling a world tour cyclist. Mike Woods did it right. Running the cycling. <laughs> Well, no, I was not dueling with Derek. G. He, <laughs> during the pandemic, when he was not on the track, he, he turned on his Strava and just crushed all the KOMs. Um, uh, a good friend of mine who was, who, who Jeremy Ray, who he'd run 336 for the 1500. Um, him and Derek G were, were battling each other. Um, yeah. It, uh, quite, quite a different level than I'm, <laughs> than I'm at. Well, Looking to this year, what are the big goals on the horizon for you? Yeah, given my injury earlier in the year, I kind of made my big goals uh, for September and November. Um, so the two races that I'm really gunning for are Pikes Peak Ascent, um, which is September, mid-September. It's uh, an uphill race in Colorado, 21K. It's part of the Golden uh, Trail Series. And then uh, JFK in November. So JFK is a bit still a bit of a question mark um, to see if uh, like how my training progresses and if I think I I think the course suits me well I just don't know if I'm if I'm there with the distance it's a fifty mile race so can I can I be competitive over eighty k hopefully I'll I'll know a bit more come like September October um, but uh, yeah super super excited about um, Pikes Peak. There are a few races I would have liked to have done this year. Three of them are on the same weekend. So the NACAC trail championships, like the North American trail championships are in Saskatchewan, the same weekend as Pikes Peak. And the world master trail races, like trail championships are also that same weekend. So like two other races that um, I may have considered, um, they're all on the same weekend. So Pikes Peak, uh, definitely the most competitive of those races. Um, so I feel that I should do that one sooner than later and maybe put off like masters for, for the, for like, you know, future years. Um, and then my first race that I'm going to do that I don't really have 
high expectations for is QMT 25K, um, which is July 2nd, um, which is only, uh, I guess, six weeks away now. Um, and I don't feel ready at all for it. Um, but I know a lot can happen in six weeks. So I'm just going to have like I have an open mind, but um, I, I, I think it will be a fun race and it will be a good, it will be a good rust, rust buster, um, even if I'm not like feeling like I'm in good shape for it. Totally. And you're such a versatile athlete. So you, we talked about you skiing, you've had an incredible career, road running, cycling. Um, you, you dropped skateboarding earlier and now trail running. Um, when you look to a longer horizon, what's sort of undone for you? What are your sort of larger, uh, goals in the future? Anything you're going after? Um, yeah, great question. I don't, I don't really know. Um, I still like have interest in the longer distances, the hundred K and hundred mile. Um, and I would like to do those again, not injured. So my very first ultra, I was able to run the whole way. Um, not fast at the end, my last 20 K were like quite pitiful and I was walking up every single hill, but I was running. Um, but that wasn't the case last year. And I was almost like, like I didn't almost didn't understand. I'm like, well, now I'm like doing longer runs. Like my train's more, you know, geared towards it. But it, I think that, I think the injury played a big part in that. Um, so I, I do want to like experiment with the longer distances again and, and just see how they go. Um, uh, I'm not like, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I guess I have to see how it goes mm -hmm. before I really commit to saying like, yes, I want to do another hundred miler, but it is in the back of my mind. Um, and the other thing too, is um, now that I've done those races and I look at some of the sort of like sub ultra um, uh, races like that, those, those, you know, when I, when I, I guess before I was into ultra running, I would just look at some of the big races to get all the hype. It was a lot of the hundred mile races, but now that I'm like more into and exposed to trail running, I, I, I get just as excited about some of these like, um, sub ultras as I do like the longer stuff. So, um, I don't really, that's a really bad, I don't really have like a concrete answer. There's nothing like really burning, um, except for like, I guess Pike's peak and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to let it come to you and you'll know when it's time. Yeah, exactly. Oh, cool. So changing gears a bit, I'd love to talk a little bit about your coaching. I've definitely seen an explosion of uh, cool set go kits at a bunch of races coming up and it seems like you guys are cranking out some uh, awesome results from cool set go and Bayfront endurance that you're um, running both of those. So when did you, uh, when did you actually start coaching and kind of what do you love about it? Uh, yeah, I started coaching over 10 years ago. Um, just randomly people would ask me to like kind of help them out with races like some some friends who were like you know sort of into running um and then I, and then I started really coaching some runners um yeah about 10 years ago um and then just word of mouth um they would say like oh would you also coach my friend and I was I guess between maybe 2013 and um 2019 I usually would I would usually coach about 10 athletes um um, not much more than that. Um, and I, I've always wanted to know more about my own training. So I, I took a lot of initiative and, and, and figured like trying to figure things out and experiment and, um, talk to other people, especially when I'd go to Kenya. Um, it was kind of like this melting pot of runners from all over the world living in the same sort of like hotel and you'd be sitting, having every single meal with them. Right. So you'd, you know, you might just sit down and talk to Suguro Osaka and 
you know, Mo, Mo Farah was there a lot, like a lot of really top, like top runners. And then just a lot of Europeans who were, um, you know, like making the Olympics, but you know, names you, you wouldn't be familiar with and just hearing how they train. So like, I just really got into listening to what other people were doing and, and what can, what can I implement into my training, what works. And, um, and then when I was coaching athletes, it was the same sort of thing. It was just like, you know, looking at their training plan, looking at the calendar and, and putting it in like just tinkering and, and thinking about different scenarios, um, really looking at the big picture, um, you know, like look two years down the road, where do they want to be? And so what, what do they need to do in the next six months to get there? Um, so I just really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, as the years, as the years went by, I, I kind of just figured that, that at some point I would make coaching my career. Um, and then in 2020, all appearance fees and prize money um, and um, sponsor went away. So um, basically at the end of 2019, I knew at that point that the super shoe was my only ticket to the Olympics. I was, I could tell I was getting a bit slower. Um, so I tried out um, the Nike super shoe and, and I could run the paces that I had previously been doing. Um, and new balance was still at that point, um, in a prototype for their super shoe. And so I had to make a decision like, um, you know, you know, of course, hindsight, like <laughs> the Olympics never happened then, but, you know, at, at the be very beginning of 2020 or end of 2019, um, I thought I had like four months to put in like an Olympic qualifier. And so I decided I'm like, well, if it's going to happen for me, I'm going to, I'm going to switch. So yeah, 20, so then, then all races stopped. So I had zero income coming in um, and then decided by August that I should actually let people know that I coach and they could approach me and then we could figure out if it, if it works. So from, from August of 2020, it's really grown. And um, it was, there was still like people like um, going to the cool set um, go dot run and, and filling out. But then once races came on, um, people really wanted to get coached. And at that point, um, Krista had been, I'd been coaching Krista for a couple of years and she had been coaching a few people and she wanted to get into it. And she's got the right personality, um, to coach and she's got a ton of experience and, and she, you know, once she like, you know, put her mind to like looking at periodization and different workout structures and, and, and of course how to make coaching relative to, um, to all athletes. Cause that's one thing sometimes elites like aren't great at or haven't done before is they just think okay I used to do 10 times 800 I'm going to give that to this athlete and then it's like well no they're they're running their 800 like a minute slower so that's a lot more work kind of thing right so it's things like that and then um the other athlete uh so the other coach that works with me is Jordan Birma so Jordan's been coaching for a while as well I've I've known Jordan for um oh probably since like 2010 he was a good a junior he was sub um 15 5k runner um and then he got into the trails before i did um doing ultras and he coached and he was the manager at a running store so also ran all their clinics um and we would just like have coffee and like chat about coaching and stuff like that um and then as like i said as races came on back onto the calendar especially at the end of 2021 um i was just getting inundated with with requests um and so I asked Jordan, I was like, well, look, these people asked me, like, would you want to take them on? And he was like, yeah. So then we just sort of like, you know, made that official. Um, and then once I got into ultras, um, 
people started asking me to coach ultras. Um, and I'm like barely one step ahead of like, you know, like <laughs> what they're doing. Um, we're oddly enough, I started coaching an ultra runner in 2017 only because he wanted to get faster. He was an ultra pure ultra guy. He wanted to get faster at the half marathon, started coaching him, but then he had more opportunities to like, he went to worlds for, for mountain running. Um, so I, so he's still, he was, he still wanted to be coached by me. And I was like, but I don't know anything like about <laughs> racing, you know, for longer than three and a half hours. Um, but I was like, I'm willing to like, you know, kind of look into it. So he was like a good experiment. I look back at some of that stuff I was giving to him and I surprised myself that some of it was good advice and others, like I, other stuff. I'm like, eh, I probably wouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so now that I got into ultras, people have been asking me for ultras. And I think, you know, for people that live in Southern Ontario, um, I, I do have a pretty good idea of, 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 of how to try to train for, you know, races out West, races in Quebec, where you're, where the train is much more challenging. Um, but then um, when I was at Canyons last year, Dave Stevens, who he's won run rabbit run before he's like, he's finished second at Havelina. He won UTMB. Um, Mexico last year. Um, I chatted with him at Canyons about training and I learned a lot of over, we were staying at the same hotel. He's, he's from Nelson, BC. And over the, over the course of the weekend, I learned so much um, from him. He, he's a coach himself. Um, but, you know, being, being in Nelson um, in the small town and um, he maybe just doesn't have the same exposure, but when, so some people would start asking me about coaching hundred milers and, and whatnot. I'm like, do you want to walk the whole thing? I, I know to do that, you know? So, I think, so um, yeah. So I started sending people over to Dave. So, so Dave's kind of like when, when somebody comes, when somebody um, requests a coach and they're they're they have access to mountains um, and, and also he'll coach people in Ontario as well, but like people who want to race hundred milers, like that's their main focus, um, especially the rugged ones. He's got the experience, uh, both coaching and as an, uh, of, of an athlete. So that's, that's the coaching roster and it's, it's going well. And mm -hmm. I, I think I'm, we're still going to request, but, um, and it's a bit of a wait list, but I don't ever want to be an administrator. I still want to coach. So I think we're going to just keep it pretty small. Man, what a great coaching crew you have there. Um, so when people come to work with, uh, like yourself or your team there, what are some of the key kind of coaching philosophies or kind of pillars of performance they can, uh, expect you guys to be delivering? Yeah. And I mean, I would say like a lot of coaches say this, but you know, the first thing that always has to come is health. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you have to be healthy. Um, you know, put that as your main priority. And then the second one would be enjoyment. So you have to enjoy what you're doing. Um, you can't just be doing like you'll, you'll get burnt out if you're just forcing things. And then the third one's performance. And I'll always say like, you know, you want performance to be really good. Well, it's not going to, you're not going to hit top performance if one and two aren't in place anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, I mean, that, that, that would be like our underlying philosophy, like, uh, to, to start with. And then, and then the next one, it would be like, I guess, individualization, right? So there's no, no, like when somebody comes to me and they're like, how many flowers do I need to run a week to run X in the marathon? I'm like, well, what have you done up to this point? Right. If you've been running 70 K a week, I'm not going to say, okay, you got to run 120 K a week to run 255, Right. So it's individualization, super important. Um, and not just using like a cookie cutter sort of like workout, um, schedule. Um, so getting to know the athletes, um, like, you know, like a preliminary zoom call, yeah. even like a 30 minute chat, you can learn quite a bit about somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and then and then just having like open open dialogue all the time so i just i just like now that i coach a lot of athletes um like i'm coaching about 40 i don't like um like it's it's hard it's almost hard for me to like like i can't just like text each one like hey how's it going right because most time they'd be like it's fine like don't bother me i'm busy you know mm-hmm. so it, it, i always just have this um kind of rule like if anything's up you have to let me know right away right and and that and that's just and that works out really well so you know if someone's you know got a tight low back it's like we can we can deal with that and 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 figure out how to you know change things up um, right right away rather than letting it go too long I find it so interesting. I love that you lead with health and it's such a, like when you look at the coach and athlete relationship, it is a relationship built on trust. I'd love to know, like, what are some of the checks and balances that you put in place? Like you say, a zoom call, what are your tells and how do you ensure that health is that pillar before you even start working with your athletes? Um, it's, it's, it's actually quite difficult because so, because you know, runners, like I'll have runners do a race and then afterwards tell me like, oh, I was actually kind of injured, but I didn't want to tell you because I don't know you wouldn't let me race. I'm like, oh, uh, all the time. I get you. But, and, and, and that's just kind of like, you know, you do like you have to just deal like that's just runner mentality. So, you know, like hopefully like I can tell examples of when that does not work and they'll like heed my advice. Um, but most of the time it does. Right. Like I'll have athletes not have a good marathon and they're like, hey, I want to run a marathon like. And it, it, like this marathon's come up in two weeks. An emotional like, marathon, we call them. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, okay, the chances of that working, like that might work. Um, and, and you might knock it out of the park. But the downside is like, th- there's a big risk in that, that you might get injured and you're, you're going to miss more training. And that marathon that you could set up properly six months from now is going to be compromised. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. so, so sometimes it's just having those conversations and and having people look at the big picture and kind of like calm down and, um, and, and, and do things. Yeah. Like, like, you know, like just, just be very practical about it. Um, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, there's just a lot of like interesting conversations I've had over, over the course of the, like, especially the last few years of, um, you know, letting, letting people like, 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 like dropping a goal race. Right. Which is super hard, but mm-hmm. I always know like once people do that, because if they're like, say they're injured, they always feel better afterwards. It's, it's the unknown. That's really the, the thing that kind of messes with people's head. That's stressful. Um, so I always say like, it's nice to have a goal, but if you are stressed about getting ready for that goal, because your body's not cooperating, then, then you, you take that one off the table and, and put another one in like six months to so like keep the motivation there, but, but have it all just be like motivation and not stress. Um, so a lot of times it's just having that conversation that that's tough. And then it's usually like the next day, the athlete's like, okay, I feel, I feel much better about, you know, where I'm at right now. And without that stress, they'll probably, um, heal faster from the injury anyways. So, um, it, yeah, it's usually the way to go. There's, there's always more races out there. So one thing I find in my coaching and I, I got it a lot. It's funny after the marathon and we are working with a number of triathletes here is around the like weight conversation. Do you have a lot of athletes who are coming to you of like when say they have a bad race or they're looking to optimize performance They're like, Hey, I, I think like a key target of mine is, is losing weight to get faster. Like how do you approach those conversations to make sure that they're doing it healthy and not getting injured? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good one. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I never bring up weight to, to my athletes and, and if they do, um, if it's something that, 
uh, you know, I, that I think that they could work on, um, then I, I sent them to Rachel Hanna because she's a great, uh, nutritionist is a registered dietitian, I should say. And she understands running. Um, I think I've, I've had quite a few of my athletes, um, work with her and every single one has had great things to say. Um, I'm not a physiotherapist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist, all these things. So even though I have my own experience and I can give some sort of like direction, um, I don't pretend to be an expert in any of those areas. So if someone's hurt, um, I can say, oh, like, yeah, I had something similar. Like these are the exercises that have helped me, but you should see a physiotherapist or, you know, you should see a chiropractor or see a doctor. Um, so as, as far as, as weight goes, like um, I, I, I believe that most athletes aren't fueling enough. Um, so that's, that's usually where I go first. Um, and that if, if they are worried about weight, it's often if they're coming off of a time of, of, of like either rest or not as much um, training. And I just say like, like training, if you, if you're, if you're training the amount that we, we've prescribed, like you're going to find like a natural race weight, um, but don't try to get there any sooner um, like don't, don't like you'll you'll get there don't try to force it by restricting calories because um uh it it never it never works in the long run like ever so um yeah good and which goes back to health and and also enjoyment too right like mm-hmm. um and i i mean i tell my athletes i don't i don't i never step on a scale um i did have to step on a scale once this year because my wife was convinced our luggage was going to be over, um, <laughs> like over. She's like, you have to, you have to weigh that. Right. And like, I got it out. And when we were going out, to, we were going out West skiing, um, in February. And so I had to like, and I just couldn't, it, was, it just wouldn't balance the legs. So I had to like weigh myself and then like weigh, so, you know, so I was like, Oh wow. I'm like, this is like the first time I've like been on a scale for a couple of years. So, um, I, it's nice once you put it out of your mind and you just focused on, on like eating well and, and like, knowing that fuel, uh, food is fuel. It's, you can just, you can get into the right mindset, um, where you you can kind of put that to the side. Hopefully, I mean, it's hard, it's easier said than done, obviously, but, um, there are things that, you know, I I can, some advice I can give, I guess. (laughs) No, it's totally true. And shout out to Rachel Hannah. I've worked with her in the past and she's just super professional and has so much knowledge because I always find it helpful to work with someone who is an athlete themselves. They understand um, we were just talking to Lucy Bartholomew um, when you were talking about most people under fuel. And I think she gave me my favorite quote when it comes to fueling as an athlete, where it's too much sometimes, too little never. And I'm like, I think I think that needs to be a tagline for all endurance athletes. Um, but switching gears, um, just before we wrap up, you mentioned, you know, getting sick from your kids. Um, what is it like to, you know, bal- balance coaching um, and be a professional runner, um, and also have kids. How, how do you balance that with, uh, two very small children? Yeah. I mean, and I, I would say I would use professional runner loosely these days, but, um, <laughs> you run a uh, lot. yeah, I do. I still do train quite a bit. Um, yeah. So, I mean, first off, like my wife is super supportive, right? So she's a runner herself. She's, um, she's, uh, signed up for the Berlin marathon, um, this fall. And, and so she understands, um, and, and she comes out to every Bayfront endurance workout that we put on Tuesday nights. So, um, so that's one, I mean, I don't think it's, it would work or be easy to work with, um, you know, a partner who's, um, doesn't understand. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and just working around like that schedule. So, 
you know, when she's doing her runs, when I'm doing my runs and then with coaching, it's very flexible. Right. So, um, uh, I'm, I'm often doing stuff in the morning with the kids and, and like pick like school drop off, pick up and stuff like that. Um, and then doing my, I do most of my run in the middle of the day. Um, so I'll, I'll carve out a couple hours for running and then a couple of hours for coaching. And then I, then I feel like that's, that's the whole day. And I'm back to, back to the school to pick up kids. Um, and then, and then sometimes in the evenings too, right. Just like kind of piece, piecing it around. Um, I, I use, a like this, um, app called Calendly, which it makes yep. life pretty easy for uh, my athletes booking in zoom calls or phone calls. Um, and then I, 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 for sure, I don't train as much as like I, I could, um, just as far as my physical capacity, just cause I'm, I'm tight on time, but I'm at just at the point in my career where I'm, I'm happy with the amount I'm, I'm training. Um, and it works well with, with, with family. So who's your endurance icon Reed? Yeah. You know what? Um, it, I mean, I guess it's changing all the time. I would, I would say, um, for a long time, like Sylvia Ruger, um, because, uh, or like her 228 back when she ran in like the early eighties was, was quite amazing. Um, or I guess I should say mid eighties, but, um, and, and yeah, and her like finished the Olympics, like just relatively, like it was just so good. And then, and then also just because she was still involved with, with, with in sport, like, um, I got to, I, I would see her at races every once in a while. Um, she gave me great advice, um, about uh coming back from injury um and, and stuff like that so um i think that because you know like when I, when you come up with a marathon or in canada um you know there's jerome drayton and, and sylvia ruger who had these the, the records lasted for so long um but i only got to meet jerome drayton once so he didn't really have as much of an impact on me um but now that i've moved into to trail running um i appreciate killian jornet a lot more mm-hmm. Um, so he's, uh, he's like one of the best hundred miler runners ever. And, you know, you know, maybe Courtney DeWater is like similar, but he's also really good at the sub ultra stuff. So he's, you know, he's won Sierra's and all in Zagama. Um, uh, I think he's got you know, maybe records that I think maybe he does sell the record at Sierra's and all like, these are like 21, like Sierra's and all like a 21 K race. Right. Like, and once I started racing over technical terrain, um, I, I realized how not good I am, but then also started appreciating how fast some people are. And just the fact, like just watching him, like just crush these technical downhills is, is, is quite amazing. So to have that skill and then the, the running skill and, um, and, and just his outlook on life and stuff is, is, is really cool. Um, and then, and then of course, like the, the current crop of Canadians, um, you know, especially Mo and Cam and Melindy and, um, Natasha, people who are like, you know, finishing top 10 in the world in the Olympics or, or, or close to it's, um, it's, it's really cool to see. So who do you got at, uh, Canada's, uh, 10 K championships next week, Cam or Mo? Uh, that's it, a really, that's now. a, that's a really good question. I mean, now that Cam's more, um, focused on the marathon and, and Mo, so yeah, Cam's more focused on the marathon and Mo is really still in that 10 K groove. I think if both athletes are at the top of their 10 K game, Mo will win. That being said, there is like a bit of, you know, there, there's that, um, uh, on ramp off, like the overpass at Ottawa that, um, Mo, I don't think has run a non-track race for like eight years. So Cam's got the, the, the road sort of chops that, 
um, might play into um, like a, a road race because track is just, is so calculated. You know, if you're going a second too fast and, and what that means relative to like an energy expenditure, but you don't have that, that feedback when you have a hilly turny, it's not hilly course, but there's, there are a couple hills and turns, right? So um, that, that puts it a bit more on the even playing field, but I would, I'll still go with Mo, but it's going to be interesting. Yeah. We're going to be in person watching that. I'm excited to, to see it pan out next week. Yeah. I'm, I'm really jealous. I, I wish I was there. Um, I, I'm doing a Solomon um, uh, relay at Sulphur Springs, which I'm nice. really excited for as well. Uh, 20K, yeah. it's like eight times 20K. Um, so I have that and it's my daughter's birthday that weekend as well. Um, but I have a ton of athletes racing the 10K. So um, yeah, it would, it would have been really fun to be there. Yeah, I decided not to do what you you were highlighting, which is race the second emotional marathon after your first one didn't go well. So <laughs> we're just doing a fun, uh, one of those half marathons where you don't look at your watch and just see what you have that day um, and then cheer a bunch of people on. So it'll be great. Yeah, it's, it, Ottawa's a great weekend. I, I, I love it. So fun. Weekend, it's yeah. a big party weekend. That was my first marathon too. I think it's- Oh, uh, nice. What, what year? Part. It's actually, I think, right around 09 or 2010 as well. might have been the yeah. same one. I was probably nipping at your heels. You just didn't see me. <laughs> no, I walked the second half of that marathon, so I was nowhere near you. Uh, I've never ran the full marathon there, so I'll have to make that happen. It's a but... good vibe, but always yeah. like hot and like sneaky. It's one I'm, I'm a little afraid of. Yeah, it, the, the heat does sneak up in Ottawa because I, I feel like you kind of train March, April, May in the mornings, and you never really get to touch plus 15 degrees. And then it's just like 17 or 18 on, yeah. on marathon morning. And even though it's not that hot, it's hot enough to, 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 to change uh, race plans. That's what we just had in Toronto. I, I was looking at a bunch of people's watches there and it was like, everyone's showing 15, 16, 17, chalking that up to my back half fade. Let's go with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no excuses. <laughs> uh, so Reed, for people who want to follow along, uh, where's the best place to, to watch all your adventures? Yeah, I guess uh, Instagram and Strava, um, they're the they're the two things that I I guess I tune into the most most and post the most on. Well, thank you so much. This was so awesome to get caught up with you and hear all the things that you have on the go. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's great having this conversation with you. Wow, how great was that? I always learned so much from these endurance icons. If you enjoyed the podcast as well, please consider liking us across social media, subscribing to us on YouTube or giving us a five-star rating on wherever you listen to your podcasts. We appreciate you and your support so much. We wish you happy training, and we'll see you back next week.